0: Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirit, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple making movement that Jesus started and commissioned. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally multiply their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and in local churches. Our values include being incarnational, biblical, relational, reproducible, transformational, faith-driven, process-driven, prayer-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. Our services arise out of our spiritual gifts of prophecy, teaching, knowledge, wisdom, and apostleship. We're glad that you joined our show today, and we'd like to get to know you better, so drop us a note. Let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We welcome suggestions for future show topics and guest speakers, so leave us a message on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org, or leave us a voicemail message on our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. You may indicate if you'd like your voicemail message to be played in future episodes. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. We here at Disciple Making Ministries seek to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally to expand Jesus' disciple making movement among family, friends, neighbors, co workers, and local churches. For this purpose, we offer a growing toolbox of products and services. To engage our international audience, we provide a home on the internet and podcast episodes. To establish followers of Jesus, we offer free online discipleship curriculum in multiple languages on our website. To equip disciple-makers, we offer disciple-making seminars in online and local venues. To empower disciple-making movements, we offer online coaching partnerships. We provide a personal example by practicing what we preach. We are involved in disciple-making locally here in Kiev, Ukraine. So, if you simply want to learn more, then keep listening to this podcast show. If you need some curriculum, then download our free resources from our website. If you want encouragement, then join our Disciple-Making Ministries social networking group on Facebook. If you desire a serious discipleship training, then register for a 12-session seminar. If you desire personal mentoring or coaching, then call us at area code 214-377-1107. We value people and partnerships that promote kingdom progress. To dialogue about any of these products or services, visit our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. And now back to the show. So welcome back to the show. This is David, your host. Today I'm starting a series entitled The Essentials of Disciple Making." Now, what is an essential? An essential is something that is absolutely necessary. Another definition is an essential is something that is basic and fundamental. And yet another definition is that an essential is something that is of the greatest importance in life. You really cannot live without the essentials. I was thinking of some examples of essentials and three immediately came to mind. There is the essential of air, water, and food. A person can only live about three minutes without air. A person can only live about three days without water. And a person can only live about three weeks without food. Now, just as air, water, and food are essentials for the physical realm, so faith, hope, and love are essentials in the spiritual realm. Without these essentials, you cannot experience a full spiritual life. You know, I was thinking about this, and hope kind of corresponds to the air. Without hope, you can quickly enter into depression in just minutes. And faith kind of corresponds to water. You can go a few days without faith, but if you go very long, then your spiritual life is going to dry up. And love kind of corresponds to food. Without love, you're going to slowly waste away. Now in today's episode, we're going to consider only one of these essentials, and that is the essential of faith. Now I think we need to define faith. What is faith? The classic definition of faith, of course, is found in Hebrews chapter 11, which reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. The Bible literally defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for. Now the Greek word assurance is hupastasis, and this is derived from two root words, hupo, meaning under the power of, and Istemi, meaning to stand. So, putting it all together, the word assurance literally means standing under the power of things that are hoped for. To help explain this, let me share some synonyms. Synonyms of assurance are confidence, reliance, conviction, trust, and devotion towards. Now, I know that there are many of you out there that are simply not standing under the power of things that you're hoping for. You've given up. You've put aside your hope for a better future. Psalm 37.4 tells us, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. You see, the desire that God has put in your, into your heart is just waiting to break out into the physical realm. But the problem is that you have heart issues, and your heart is blocking the realization of the desires that God has put there. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So you need to stand firm in your faith. You need to stand in confidence, conviction, reliance, and devotion until that hope has truly been realized. This week in one of my small home discipleship groups, we were discussing exactly this. Someone in the group shared that God had placed on their heart a desire to adopt an orphan child. And that person described how deeply that their heart was broken for these poor children in Ukraine who were stuck in these orphanages. But that person also explained that they were afraid to do anything about their heart desire because adopting an orphan is a huge responsibility. So this person was essentially fighting a crisis of faith in their life. In reality, they had hoped deferred, and their heart was breaking. If you want to experience fulfillment and power in your life, you're going to have to exercise faith. You're going to have to stand under the power of the things that you're hoping for until they're realized. Both in the Old and the New Testaments, faith is described as an essential for receiving what has been promised. Faith is the means of entrance into eternal life. Faith is a means of receiving the Holy Spirit. Faith is a means of sanctification. Faith is a means of producing spiritual fruit that lasts into eternity. Faith is a means of exercising authority in the kingdom of God. Faith is a means through which miracles, healings, and deliverance is experienced. In summary, faith is the invisible power of God that becomes made visible practically in our lives. So, if you want to receive anything of lasting eternal value in the spiritual realm, then you must exercise faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11-15 through 15 reads like this, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. This verse is basically telling us that the things that are not done by faith will be burned up when it comes to eternity. But the things done in faith will last into eternity forever. Do you still need convincing that faith is an essential to receiving the promises of God? Well, let me illustrate from the Bible. Abraham had to step out in faith, not knowing where he was going, in order to receive the promises of God. Also, Abraham had to obey a command that made absolutely no sense regarding sacrificing his son. Moses had to believe in God's calling and overcome his speech impediment and his fear of Pharaoh. Moses had to, by faith, obey the instructions of God that seemed like crazy instructions in order to deliver the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery. Rahab the harlot had to exercise faith by hiding the Hebrew spies in order to save her family from sure destruction. Joshua had to exercise faith by walking around the walls of Jericho seven times and by conquering the promised land, being strong and courageous in the Lord. Ruth had to exercise great faith in leaving behind her home culture and religion in order to receive an inheritance with the people of God. David had to exercise faith in facing the giant named Goliath, and which resulted in him becoming king. Elijah had to exercise great faith in opposing the prophets of Baal. Isaiah had to exercise faith by prophesying a suffering servant, a savior, and a king all at the same time, which probably didn't make sense to him. Jeremiah had to exercise faith by preaching the truth of God when all the other corrupt prophets around him were preaching an opposite message. Nehemiah had to exercise faith by returning to Jerusalem and building the walls of Jerusalem, even though there was a lot of opposition. Turning to the New Testament, we find that just about everything Jesus did and said was always done by faith. Jesus healed the sick, multiplied the loaves of fish, cast out demons did miracles, everything he did was by faith. Jesus, by faith, also decided to select 12 uneducated and unimportant men to be his disciples through whom he would reach the entire world with the message of the good news of Jesus. Jesus, by faith, walked in God's plan all the way to the cross. Jesus, by faith, was raised from the grave on the third day, just as it was prophesied. The apostles, by faith, received the Holy Spirit and went out into the whole world to share the gospel message. And time limits us from reviewing all the other stories of the Bible of faithful men and women. Should it not be a surprise to us then that if we're going to be disciple makers, it's going to require the essential of faith? Have you ever wondered why faith is so important to God? When I was attending seminary, I took a class entitled Soteriology, and the word soteriology is a theological word, basically meaning the study of salvation. I recall a time when I was really wrestling with this topic, and I asked the question of myself, why in the world did God choose grace through faith as a means of salvation? There are a million other means he could have chosen. Now, I had already placed my faith in Jesus, so I wasn't questioning my salvation at all. I was just trying to figure out the mechanics or the purposes or the reasons behind why he chose this particular method. Now, looking back on this topic, everything makes perfect sense to me. God chose the means of salvation by grace through faith because he's expressing the true essence of his nature. You see, God is spirit, and God is person, and God is essentially faith, hope, and love. Let's take a few moments now to consider the essence of God being one of faith. You know, God demonstrated faith in creating the spiritual and physical world, just speaking them into existence out of nothing. And God demonstrated faith by choosing to have a relationship with mankind over the more powerful angels. And God demonstrated faith by giving mankind an option, of freedom of choice, knowing that mankind would rebel. And God demonstrated faith in sending his one and only son, Jesus, to redeem sinful humanity. God demonstrated faith by seeing in advance those who would believe and receive salvation through his promise. Jesus demonstrated faith by leaving the glories of heaven to enter into earth in human flesh. Jesus demonstrated faith through miracles, healings, and deliverance. Jesus demonstrated faith by submitting completely to the will of the Father and going to the cross. And Jesus demonstrated faith towards being resurrected on the third day. The point of this teaching is that I'm trying to encourage you to reflect the essence of God, which is that of faith. In John 6.29, it reads, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. I think the church today has unintentionally miscommunicated the very essence of Christianity. They don't purposefully mean to miscommunicate the essence of Christianity. It's just that they have chosen certain structures that communicate the wrong things. Modern church structures actually communicate that church is a religion Modern church structures communicate that the church is a building. Modern church structures communicate that church is just a social club. Modern structures in the church communicate that Christianity is just a program. Modern church structures communicate that Christianity is a business. Modern church structures communicate that Christianity is a marketing strategy in which you try to draw in larger crowds. And modern church structures communicate that Christianity is some kind of an entertainment show. But Jesus never promoted these things such as religion or buildings or social clubs or educational programs or seminaries or business models or marketing or entertainment. Jesus was completely fixed on having a personal relationship with the living Father. Jesus was completely fixed on walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was completely fixed on preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus was completely fixed on exercising faith in the promises of God. In fact, Scripture records that Jesus is actually the perfecter of our faith. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so in easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you want to be a disciple maker, if you want to fulfill the great commission that God has called you to, you have to do this with the essential of faith. Hebrews 11.6 reads, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now I have another question for you. Does living by faith mean that we're supposed to abandon all our goals, strategies, and and objectives? No, I'm super convinced that faith has to be combined with practical goals, strategies, and objectives. I'm working with a believer now who has an attitude that rejects goals, strategies, and objectives. He believes that uh, going with the flow of the Holy Spirit is the only way to live. He's convinced his way is right, and he rejects any instruction or advice from other people. Because of this, I see that this person has no direction in life, that he is unstable, that he's moving in circles, and he's missing out on some great blessings that he could have if he had some goals, strategies, and objectives. I say that faith without a purpose, process, and principles usually ends up without a product. Jesus was able to perfectly combine faith with purpose, processes, principles. Jesus had a purpose which was redemption of humanity. Jesus had a process which was to pour his life into 12 disciples, teaching, correcting, training, rebuking, and sending them out on missions so that they could be ready to go out into all the world and witness the gospel. Jesus had principles that were filled in his teachings of the kingdom of God, in his parables, in his miracles, in his healings, in his deliverance. Some of you out there are just like my friend that I'm working with. You're floating from one situation to the next. You have no purpose in life. You have no direction. You're not living by any principles. Others of you out there are super rational oriented. You need to graduate into greater areas of spiritual power through faith. All of us need to find a better balance of faith between purpose, process, principles, and daily life of faith with Jesus Christ. So I'm recording this episode today because I want to see you have more spiritual fruit. I want you to have a greater spiritual inheritance. I'm convinced that God wants you to step out in faith. I'm convinced that God wants you to ask someone to come into a discipleship relationship with you. I'm convinced that God has more territory out there for you to conquer. I'm convinced that you need to live out of the resources that God has so abundantly prepared for you. I'm convinced that God has empowered you to finish the race that he set before you. I'm convinced that God will give you a strategy and a plan and wisdom to engage others in discipleship. I'm convinced that God is going to empower you to persevere even when there are hindrances in life. So will you please pray for God to expand your faith in making disciples of all nations. We're going to take a little break, and then I'll return to share some things that can hinder your faith and some things that can strengthen your faith. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the show in this segment, I'd like to share seven things that can hinder your faith. And the first one of these is skepticism. What is skepticism? A skepticism is an attitude or disposition that opposes the nature of a particular position or phenomenon that someone else might hold. So a skeptic is a person who questions the validity of some issue related to morality, religion, or knowledge. The philosophical skeptics may even claim that it's impossible to know truth at all. You know, the Greeks were famous for developing schools of skepticism, and the Apostle Paul had to address one of these issues when he was at Mars Hill. Religious skeptics may believe that Jesus existed, but they may deny his miracles or that he was Messiah. Scientific skeptics may question the beliefs just because it's based in some scientific understanding that they have in the present time. Well, I live in a part of the world, in the former Soviet Union, which has many skeptics. I think they built this into the system back during the communist period, during the Soviet Union. And so there's a lot of people here who don't really have faith, and sometimes it's hard to talk with them. There's also people here who are religious skeptics, who are part of one particular denomination or another, but uh, they are not willing to accept any uh, truth or point from someone who holds a different position, no matter if that position is true or not. Well, the Bible has something to say about skeptics. The Bible says that in Psalm 14, verses one through three, that the fool has said in his heart, there's no God and that they are corrupt, they have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who would understand, who would truly seek after God. They have all turned aside together, they have all become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Well, I want to propose that uh, if you're a skeptic, if you are always going around and questioning, if you have this attitude of uh, not really accepting some potential truth or some spiritual principle, then uh, you're gonna have a hard time growing in your faith. Now, a second thing that is going to hinder you from exercising faith in your life is pride. Now, what is pride? In the English language, the word pride can have a number of different meanings, some of them positive and some of them negative, depending upon the context. I believe that over time, the meaning of English words such as pride has been changed or altered, sometimes for uh, political reasons and sometimes for spiritual reasons. And So I'd like to use a different word other than pride that is a little more definite in our particular context here. I want to use the word conceit. Now conceit can be defined as a sense of superiority either in one's person or his or her abilities, achievements, or possessions. I'm sure that you all have known somebody in your life who's been a person who is very prideful. They usually look down on you and try to build themselves up, and they rarely ever humble themselves to the point of recognizing their own faults and their own ways of harming other people. Now, traditionally in Christianity, pride has been considered as one of the seven deadly sins. These seven deadly sins uh, include pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, and sloth or laziness. Today I'd like to propose that if you are a person of pride, this is going to most definitely hinder your exercise of faith. In fact, this makes perfect sense because having a sense of superiority in ourselves uh, means that we do not trust in what only God can accomplish. True faith is based 100% in the acts of God, not in one's personal abilities. In Luke 18 verses 9-14 we read, And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, the swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The point that we're trying to make here is that humility actually promotes faith, but Pride or conceit blocks or hinders faith. A third thing that's going to block or hinder faith in your life is doubt. Now, what is doubt? Doubt is a state of mind that remains suspended between two contradictory positions. Doubt represents indecision between belief and disbelief. Doubt involves uncertainty, distrust, and a lack of sureness. Doubt questions the notion of a perceived reality, and doubt hinders the exercise of faith. Now, it is my guess that uh, each of us who are listening to this show today have ourselves experienced some kind of doubt. You see, we have times in our life when we know that God is calling us to do something or to say something. But there's something that is different between the calling in our hearts, in our spirits, and what goes on in our minds. And so, many times, we allow our minds to override what is in our hearts and in our spirits. I'll tell you, that is a faith killer right there. Doubt kills faith. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, it reads, But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In order to experience faith, you've got to overcome these areas of doubt in your life. You have to believe in the promises of God. You have to find a way to let that calling in your life to come from the spirit through the heart, into the soul, into the mind, and out to the body to act upon the faith that God has given you. Show me your faith without your action, and I will show you my faith with my action, it says in the book of James. So, a fourth obstacle or hindrance to exercising faith in your life is fear. What is fear? Fear is a feeling of perceived danger that usually has some kind of result or behavioral response. Fear can result in many things. You can try to escape. You can try to avoid a situation. You can try to hide. You can try to freeze up and do nothing. You can try to attack somebody. Fear basically paralyzes your ability to exercise faith. What kinds of fears do people commonly have in life? Well, I looked this up on the internet today, and I came up with a pretty good uh, list of fears that are common to people. In several surveys, they listed these as their most important fears, or the strongest fears. They said that spiders are f- a fear death, failure, violence, loneliness, the future, a fear of flying, a fear of heights, a fear of snakes, a fear of rejection, a fear of public speaking. Well, what fears do you have? Do you fear the future? Do you fear your finances? Do you fear your loss of a relationship? Do you fear being alone? How can you overcome fear in your life? Well, the scriptures give us one key way to overcome fear in our lives, and it's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, which reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Oh, there's a huge lesson here, that if we only begin to dwell in the love of God that he has given to us, if we understand the grace of God, if we understand who we are in Christ, if we understand our position as kings and priests in the kingdom of God, if we would only understand these great and precious promises that God has given to us, then we would be able to fight against our fears and live and experience faith. Another hindrance to faith can be an improper focus. Having the right focus is absolutely necessary for faith. You know, today in this world, we can be overwhelmed with many distractions that pull our focus and our attention from Jesus Christ. We have all these new technologies, we have all these platforms, we have all these activities, and many times these things distract us from exercising real faith in God. Henry Ford once said, A weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at one time. You know, there are a million and one good things you could do today, but what is that one best thing that God has actually called you to do and given you faith to do? We should remain focused on the goal that God has given us to the upward call of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter had a problem when he took his eyes off the focus on Jesus, and then he started to sink into the water. Matthew fourteen twenty-eight through 31 reads, Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out onto the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked onto the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter was doing exactly fine when he was keeping his focus on Jesus. It was only when he was taking his eyes off Jesus and started to look at the wind, which ironically you can't even see the wind, then he began to sink. Why did Peter doubt? Oh, why? Well, because he took his focus off Jesus. There are some things that you need to take your focus off. Those things are distracting you from being close to Jesus and from exercising your faith. You need to take your eyes off the world. You need to take your eyes off your pocketbook, off your bank account. You need to take your eyes off your abilities. You need to take your eyes off your fears. You need to take your eyes off everything that can hinder you from reaching the goal of the upward call of Jesus Christ in your life. Now, a sixth thing that can uh, block or hinder your faith is sometimes the facts that are around you. You may think this is strange, that facts are facts, and facts should determine what we do. But in the Bible, it's actually the opposite. Facts in the physical realm can sometimes hinder faith in the spiritual realm. You may have experienced this yourself. For example, life presents you with some kind of physical fact. Perhaps you don't have any money in the bank, and you are listening to a preacher, and God touches your heart to give $100 to a particular ministry. And you're faced with this fact. Oh God, the fact is I don't have much money left in my account and that natural fact in the physical world pulls against the faith that God is putting into your heart. What do you do? Do you give the last hundred dollars in your bank account to the Lord's work or do you give into the physical facts in the world? Another example is illness or sickness You go to the doctor and he says you have some kind of disease and all of a sudden you lose all faith and you just turn your attention away from Jesus to that illness or to that report. How are you going to live in this situation? Are you going to give in to the fact and then just dwell on the negative aspects of that or are you going to turn to the Lord and pray and ask for faith? There were many times in the Bible when an illness uh, was uh, given to a person because of uh, Satan or because of some other uh, thing that was going on in their life. And they just simply needed to pray through that illness and receive the victory. The disciples often had to learn to overcome physical facts with spiritual faith. For example, in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, it reads like this. On that day, when evening had came, he said to them, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In this story, we see the disciples were looking at the facts of the storm, the facts of the wind, the, fa- the facts of the wave, the facts of the water coming into the boat. These physical facts were interrupting their faith. And Jesus had to teach them a lesson. Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? So, the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes physical facts can hinder or block the exercising of our faith. We need to be reminded that we live not only in a physical world, but we also live in a spiritual world. And the seventh and last hindrance to faith in this list is Satan himself. You know, there are many Christians in the world who fail to understand that we live in a spiritual world. They pass right by those verses that talk about Satan, that talk about the demons, and they skip over the verse that says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and they fail to engage in spiritual battle using the weapons of their warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. I think many believers have placed almost all of their experience into a three-dimensional box of rationalization, and they have failed to address the spiritual forces that are causing all kinds of problems in their lives. You see, faith is all about seeing what is unseen. There's a whole other world out there beyond the three-dimensional world that we physically live in. Ephesians 6:12 or 13 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Just read your Bible. It's all in there. There are spiritual forces of evil that want to influence us, that want to hinder us, that want to block our faith. We're called, specifically commanded, to stand firm and to use our spiritual weapons against these dark forces. So I'm calling you to get rid of these seven hindrances to exercising faith. Get rid of the skepticism in your life. Get rid of the pride in your life. Get rid of the doubts in your life. Get rid of the fears in your life. Get rid of the improper focus in your life. Don't let the facts in the physical world to affect your faith in the spiritual world. And remember to engage the spiritual world with the weapons that God has given you in Ephesians 6 and other places in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 reads, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And now we're going to take another break, and we'll come back with our final segment, Encouraging Faith. Welcome back to our final segment of the show today. In this last segment, I just want to read a couple of inspiring stories of faith from the Bible. The first one's going to come from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. And this is an inspiring story of someone who had great faith, a long-distance faith, you might say, a faith of a Gentile person. Let's read together. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He is fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man of authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to the other, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith in anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go and it shall be done for you as you've believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Now this is an amazing story of someone who really understood who Jesus was and what kind of authority he had and the power that Jesus had. That is awesome faith, a long distance faith, a faith that can really make a difference and heal people. Now, a second story that I'd like to read to you today is about the faith of some friends. You know, I'm confident that uh, there are some friends or some relatives or neighbors out there that need you to step up to the plate and be their faith bearers. And this story talks about uh, some faithful friends. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And when Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.' But some of the scribes sitting there were reasoning in their hearts. What does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up a pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up immediately, picked up the pallet, and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Now this story uh, just reminds us that uh, we have some awesome power as friends and neighbors and relationships uh, to be the example of faith unto others. I encourage you this week to look around you and to notice those who need a little extra faith in their lives. A third of four stories that I want to share with you today is to remind you to have persistence in your faith. Sometimes it takes a long time for God to answer your prayers. So the story comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. Now this is an amazing story of long-term faith. Sometimes, in order to get that spiritual breakthrough, you have to be persistent in your faith. You have to keep working at it, keep trying, keep believing until the very end. Now the fourth and last story that I want to share with you today is that faith can have a powerful effect. This comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, And does not doubt in his heart, But believes that what he says is going to happen, It will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, All things for which you pray and ask, Believe that you have received them, And they will be granted to you. Now this story reminds us that faith can truly move mountains. I know there's a huge mountain in front of many of you out there. Many of you are afraid to start a disciple relationship with one of your friends or coworkers. You're afraid to ask them. You're afraid to share the gospel. You're afraid to move forward in faith in obeying the great commission of Jesus Christ. But remember that God can overcome that fear, that God can give you the power, that God can give you the resources, that God can give you the strength, that God can give you the wisdom and knowledge and understanding to reach out and to disciple one of your friends, your neighbors, co-workers, classmates, or people in your church. How can I be confident of this? How can I be certain that this is God's will? I'm absolutely 100% confident that this is God's will for you because it's part of the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus himself has given us his authority to carry out this task of disciple making. So I encourage you today, go from here and begin to make disciples of all those around you. Well, thanks for joining our show today. If you have any questions about our topic, if you have any comments or suggestions about our ministry, if you have any ideas for future topics or guest speakers, if you'd like to sign up for one of our seminars, if you'd like to download our free discipleship resources, or if you'd like to sponsor or advertise in these podcasts, then start a dialogue with us at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave a message at area code 214-377-1107. We appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and we appreciate your sharing the news about our podcast show with your family and friends. This is your host, David Spirit, signing off for now from Kiev, Ukraine.